I know that. Isn't that awesome? If I can just give a testimony while they're while they're leaving, uh, Miss Betty McCafferty came up to me um, just a, a week or two ago, and uh, was just convicted by the Word of God and uh, desired that uh, that she be a, a service somehow. Uh, not that she doesn't serve, but she does. Uh, but she just came and she said, "Is there any way I can help with children's church?" And I said, "Well, as a matter of fact, there is." And so she's teamed up with Janet and. So I just want to tell you that there's always opportunities wherever you want to serve uh, for you to make an impact and uh, make an impact for heaven. Uh, so that's going to be really, really awesome, and I thank Betty for that. Well, uh, as Brother Hal mentioned, friends, it is an all-out war. Y'all hear me? It's an all-out war. Day in and day out, you're dealing in a war whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. It is an all-out war out there. But here's some good news for you. God has provided us with some armor. He's provided us with some tools that we can use to defend ourselves uh, against the greatest enemy of mankind. His name is Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the accuser, whatever you want to call him. Uh, we all have the same enemy. Uh, the first piece of armor that we talked about several weeks ago was the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is basically the truth of God's word, the truth of God's son, and the truth of God's spirit that will protect our heart, our mind, and our will. We need the belt of truth, but you've got to put it on. The second piece of God's armor was the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness protects us from Satan's most effective fiery dart. Does anybody remember what that was? What's the most effective tool that the enemy uses against you? It's right there. Guilt. That's right. Guilt. The breastplate of righteousness will remind believers that past sins have already been judged on the cross. They've already been judged. Therefore, as believers, we are justified. We are acquitted of all of our sin. And therefore, it's like we never even done them only as believers in the cross now the third piece of armor were the shoes of the gospel of peace and those shoes remind us that christ's victory on the cross provides you and i with stability to stand firm it also provides us with mobility to get going and it also provides great opportunity to serve the lord as we fight against the enemy. But today, I want to introduce you to the shield of faith. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's be reminded of the whole armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, in beginning in verse 10, Paul writes to believers here. Who's he writing to? Believers, okay? He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say be strong in the power of your own might. Be strong in the power of God's might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or against bombs and bullets. No, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, he says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, say above all, say it louder, above all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication with the saints. What does that, those words mean above all? Somebody help me out. What does above all mean? Everything? Most important? What else? If I say I love you above all, what does that mean? More than anybody else? Above all, the most important, this shield of faith is the most important part of the armor that the believer wears. Why would the shield of faith be more important than any other part of our spiritual armor? Well, the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. We've got to have faith. And if you don't have faith, it doesn't matter if you've got all the armor around. If you don't have that shield of faith, you don't got nothing. You've got to have faith. Think about this. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, what are, you, what are you placing your faith in? You're placing your faith in the God of righteousness. Think about this. When you put on your shoes, your shoes of the gospel of peace, what are you doing? You're putting on by faith the, the gospel of God. Think about this. When you put on your belt, your belt of truth, what are you doing? You're faithfully believing that there's no truth outside of God who is truth. We've got to have the faith in order to make all of the other instruments of our armor work. It's the shield, the shield of faith that protects the rest of the armor. Think about this. If I'm carrying a shield, the shield is out front. The shield gets hit first. That's why your faith is attacked first. The shield is always out front. It's the operating force that makes the rest of the armor valuable. It's the operating force that makes the rest of the armor even possible. And when you, when you properly make use of the shield of faith, verse 16 says, you will quench all, say all. You'll quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. But if you ain't got that shield of faith, Friend, I want to tell you, you're in trouble. You've got to take up that shield of faith every single day and make use of the faith that God has given you. But I, I wondered, why are the darts or the arrows of the devil fiery? Why do you think? Why does Paul refer to these darts or these arrows as being on fire or fiery? What happens if 
you put, if an, if an arrow that's on fire lands right here at my feet, well, it didn't hit me, so I'm still good, right? But if it's fiery, what can happen? It can spread. That's right. It's a fiery dart because the, the arrows, the darts of the devil can spread into other areas of your life. If you don't quench those fiery darts with your shield of faith, it's going to land in another area and you're going to be in trouble. It's so important to take up this shield. But the Bible says that the shield of faith quenches all those fiery darts, all those attacks from the enemy. So there's no strategy, there's no tactic, there's no scheme that comes from our enemy that God has given us the shield that can quench that. The shield of faith quenches all those fiery darts from the enemy. Now, let me help you understand what a Roman shield looks like. A Roman shield was about two foot by four foot. And that shield was made of wood, and it was covered on the front with very tough leather. And just before Roman soldiers would go into war, they would take that shield and they would dump that leather into water and they would get that leather good and soaked and then they would go out into battle so that that shield could quench those fiery darts from the enemy but there's something else about the shield of faith that's really interesting uh, the shield had ridges cut in it and those ridges would enable the shields to be interlocked so you could actually have a row of soldiers that could come together, they could lock in their shields and actually form a wall against the enemy. That is what the picture that we should have as believers. We ought to lock our shields of faith together so that we can stand against the enemy. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine what if the worst happened today. Imagine what the worst if it happened today. What if doomsday was coming at 12 o'clock? I'd be done with my sermon by then, so you'd be good. But what if today was doomsday? The last day of life as we know it on earth. Although I know as believers we're safe from God's wrath to come, but scripture suggests that believers are going to at least see a shadow of what's to come. We're going to see it on the horizon. And we're going to know she's coming. That doomsday is coming before we are raptured as God's people. So as the end approaches, you know what? We may not be immune from a great many hardships. So what on earth are we to do? If I imagine a little bit what we might do as a, a church family, I imagine that, that we'd help each other. As hardships came upon individual members of the body, I, I suspect that other members would come and would come to their help, to their rescue. I imagine that uh, as one portion of the body had need, Others would pool their resources and see if we couldn't help them some. I imagine that if one part of the body was under attack, 
then the rest of the body might come and form a protective wall around those who were being attacked. I imagine what we would do is we would lock shields. We would lock our shields of faith together in order to help and provide protection for all of the body of Christ. But you know what? Why do we have to wait? I say we ought to be about doing that now. Because I don't know about you, but I watch the evening news and I see the shadow. I watch the evening news and guess what? I see just cause why we ought to be well into locking our shields together. I watch the evening news and I see we are in a battle now. So let's don't wait till doomsday. Let's start locking our shields of faith now. Paul says we ought to take up our shield of faith. But what kind of faith? We understand saving faith that comes as we trust Jesus Christ for salvation. But who is Paul talking about? Who is he talking to here? In Ephesians, who is Paul talking to? Somebody help me out. Who? Say it louder. Paul is talking to believers here, so the kind of faith that he's talking about is not saving faith. These folks have already placed their trust in Christ. So what kind of faith are we talking about here? I believe it's that daily practical faith that believers have to have. We all need that kind of faith. It's daily faith. And that daily faith for the believer comes from the assurance that God is with us every step of the way. Friend, if you don't know that today, that God is with you every step of the way, I want to declare to you by the authority and the word of God that he's with you no matter where you go, no matter how you go there. God is with you. How do we know that? By faith in the word of God. Therefore, I want to share with you a few things about faith that you need to know. Because I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. There are times when my faith begins to waver. There are times when I question, God, are you really there? God, I need your help, but I ain't seeing the help. There are times when my faith wavers. So there are many things that we need to know. First of all, you need to know that daily faith, this kind of practical faith, is rooted in fact, not in feeling. It's rooted in fact, not feeling. Despite the quotes and all the inspirational stuff you see on Facebook, faith is not about emotions. It's not about inner feelings. It's about fact. Someone may say, you know, I just, I just have faith that this is going to work. But then for some reason, God's not in it, and they say, well, I guess I didn't have enough faith. But the problem wasn't the amount of their faith. The problem was in the object of their faith. They needed to rely on the facts. Consider this. If a child runs out into, onto an ice-covered pond, chances are strong that they're probably going to get a nice cold surprise. But chances are also strong that they might even suffer a tragedy as they go through thin ice. 
The problem wasn't the amount of faith the child had. They probably had too much faith. The problem with the child was the basis of their faith. Their faith was in the thin ice. Too often, we place our faith in thin ice. We need to place our faith in facts, not feelings. Just because you don't feel like God's there doesn't change the fact that he is there. Remember, feelings come and feelings go, for feelings are deceiving. My trust is in the word of God. None else is worth believing. Amen? Let me tell you about three men. I've met these three men before. These three men were walking on a wall. Their names, feeling, faith, and fact. When feeling took an awful fall, faith was taken back. So close was faith to feeling that he stumbled and he fell too. But fact remained and pulled faith back and brought feeling too. What does that say? That says that feelings are going to come when your faith is in the facts. You're going to feel it when your faith is in the truth of God's word. That's when you'll feel it. So daily faith is rooted in fact, not feeling. Here's something else you need to know. Faith has nothing to do with probability. Faith has nothing to do with probability. Evangelist uh, George Mueller uh, helped raise 120,000 children with a Christian education. George Mueller said this, The process of faith begins when probabilities cease. Wow. He said, It's not probable that a shepherd boy could kill a giant with a slingshot. Probability says no. Faith says yes. It's not probable that a bunch of Jews could make a wall fall just by walking around it. Probability says, I know what. Faith says, yes. It's not probable that a flood would come and no one would need a boat. Probability says, no way. Faith says, yes. It's not probable that a condemned man would survive a night in a den of lions. Probability says, no way. Faith says, yes. It's not probable that a country church could make a difference for the glory of God all around the world. But probability does not change the fact that when we're obedient, we can make a difference. You see, doubt sees obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, but faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step, but faith soars high. Doubt questions, who believes? Faith says I. Faith says I. I believe. Faith says 
Yes. So daily faith is rooted in fact, not feeling. And faith has nothing to do with probability. But another point I want to make to you is that faith has nothing to do with appearances. Paul wrote again to believers. He said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Has anybody here ever watched the Carbonaro effect on television? It's a real obscure program on a real obscure channel. But this guy is like a magician or an illusionist or whatever. And people will come into his store and he will do an illusion and they will just stand there with their jaw dropped down, not believing what they've done. They're not believing what they've seen. But God commands us to walk by faith, not by sight. While searching through abandoned homes at the conclusion of World War II, Allied forces entered the basement of this one house that was in total ruins. And obviously a Jewish family had spent some time there hiding from the Nazis as they sought to exterminate them. But then scratched onto the wall of that basement was written these words. I believe in the sun even when it doesn't shine. I believe in love even when it's not shown. And I believe in God even when he does not speak. Some things just don't change the facts. Faith has nothing to do with appearances because faith is the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't have anything to do with what you can see or what you can't see. It's still there. It's still that. It's still faith. You see, appearance may say, Man, God ain't nowhere to be found. But faith says, my God told me he'd never leave me nor forsake me. Appearance may say, everything has gone haywire. My life is out of control. Faith says, God has numbered the number of hairs on my head. And he is in full control. Appearance may say, you are wasting your time, you're wasting your money trying to save lost people around the world from this isolated country church. That's what appearance would say. But faith says this, my Lord, my Master, and my Savior said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When my Lord says it, I'm doing it. I'm going to say Yes. So why in the world do we trust in other things? Has God not proven himself faithful over and over again? Has he not proven himself trustworthy time and time again? He has. The problem is we haven't taken up the shield of faith. Furthermore, we haven't locked our shields together. And oftentimes our faith is in the wrong object. So daily faith is rooted in fact not feeling. Faith has nothing to do with probability or improbability. And faith has nothing to do with appearances. Now that's faith kind of explained. But now I want to share with you how we might be able to see faith 
expanded. I told you as I began that sometimes I've seen my faith waver. Sometimes I've seen my faith get smaller instead of bigger. And I want to know, how can I make my faith larger? How can I make it expand? How can I increase my faith? First thing you need to know is, is that your faith grows gradually. It grows gradually. You don't obtain strong faith all at once any more than an infant becomes an adult all at once. It grows gradually, and it takes time. It takes time with God's people, time with the Lord. It also takes nutrition. you got to feed on the Word of God. you got to feed on the bread of life if you want your faith to grow, if you want it bigger. But also it takes exercise. You got to go out on a limb sometimes and use that little bit of faith you got. You got to develop that faith by stepping into the, the realm of the unknown, by stepping outside the sphere in which you're comfortable. It takes time, it takes nutrition, and it takes exercise to gradually build your faith. Think of Abraham, our Old Testament father. Abraham is known for faith. When we read about him, we see illustrations of faith time and time again. But early in Abraham's life, he lacked faith. Even when he got older, many of you know that he faltered in his faith. He wasn't born a man, man of faith. It grew gradually through time, through exercise, and developing that faith. Faith not only grows gradually, but it also grows scripturally. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how your faith grows, spending time in the word of God. Faith is trust, basically. It's trusting. And when you begin trusting someone, you start to trust them because you're spending time with them. You know, there are people in this room that I would give every cent I own to. I trust them that much. There are people in this room whom I would allow my wife to drive with, some not. How does that faith get built? Gradually, over time, but also because I come to know them. I come to know their driving record, amen? I come to know that they're worth, they're, they'll pay me back. I come to know them. And the more you get to know your Lord, the more you know his power and his wisdom and his justice and his love and his patience for you, then you'll learn that he is so trustworthy. You can trust him with everything, including every cent you own. Psalm chapter 9, the psalmist writes this, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Has anybody else here had times of trouble before? Sometimes I feel like I live in times of trouble, amen? But my Lord, my Lord is a refuge in times of trouble. And the Bible says, and they will know your name, O Lord, and they will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, will not forsake those who seek you. What's he saying? 
the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you this morning, you can trust me. You can trust me with everything. But not only does faith grow gradually and scripturally, finally, sometimes faith grows painfully. Christians don't like to hear that mess, amen? If it's going to bring pain, then I don't want no faith. The Apostle Paul, a great man of faith, and Paul suffered much for the name of the Lord. And as I read about the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Acts, I find that faith and suffering go hand in hand. Now, we don't suffer for the Word of God in this day and time right now, maybe to come. But to put it in our terms, faith and inconvenience go hand in hand. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to what he wrote to believers. He wrote in... 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be alert, be awake to what's going on around you, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaming lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's the one you're fighting. What does Peter say you should do? Resist him steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood all over the world. But may the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, after you've been inconvenienced a while, will perfect, establish, and strengthen and settle you for his glory. George Mueller said trials, difficulties, obstacles, and bereavements are the very food of faith. When you go through that stuff, it's the very food of faith. In closing, I read a story about a young boy who just couldn't get the last few pieces of his puzzle together. He got so frustrated, he finally asked his little sister to help him out to finish that puzzle. Of course, she got a hold of it, and in seconds, it was completely done. And he said, how did you do that? And the little sister looked up to big brother and said, I looked at the picture on the box. You were looking at the pieces. You know, life can sometimes be like a puzzle. But your God knows the big picture. You need to trust him to put the pieces of your life together. We don't, when we don't take up the shield of faith, it's like we just don't trust God. But when we take up that shield of faith, interlocking it with others of like-minded belief, then guess what, friends? You can trust God for what you don't understand. And I can't speak for you, but there's a lot about this world that I don't understand. There's a lot about the things that happen to me that I just don't understand. But I'm going to trust God by faith because he knows the big picture. So it's not about feelings, it's not about probabilities, it's not about appearances. Faith is rooted in fact. It grows gradually, sometimes painfully, but always by God's word.
always. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know, maybe you need to begin, well, at the beginning. Trusting Jesus by faith to save you from sin. That's the first step in taking up the shield. But you can't stop there. You've got to keep growing in your faith. Others like me may need Jesus to help us grow our faith. All I know is this. In every area of my life, Jesus has proven himself faithful and worthy of my trust. So what are we to do? Whether it's for salvation in a relationship with God or whether it's so that you can grow your faith, what are you to do? Take up your shield. Take up the shield of faith. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that I don't have to worry about what I see, what I think, what the world uh, seems to be doing, what it's not doing. I don't have to worry about how I feel. I need to trust in the fact of your living word. That requires faith. So Lord, if there's one here today that needs to place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, let them know in a way only that you can that today is their day. That they can be eternally saved, acquitted of all the sins in their life, and they can have a relationship with God that goes on for eternity. Lord, I know there's a great many believers here and I know that they want more from their Christian walk than what they're getting. Lord, help them to know that they need to grow their faith. And they need to be patient about it. They need to, to be staying by your word and reading your word and allowing it to apply to their lives. And that, Lord, they need to trust you. So, Lord, whatever the need is today, whether it be for salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord or a desire to grow their faith, I pray that everyone in this room would take up their shield and they would take it up from this day forward and grow their faith. Lord, this is our humble prayer. In the name above all names, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, his name's Jesus, and we pray it in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.